Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Another week, another Fizz Radio segment with Jaron May in that Bonaparte. We are working remotely, but still bringing you all the content on the Score 1260. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will be on these airwaves every single Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m., and we thank you for joining us this Saturday morning. To start off, Matt, how you feeling? You excited for this show? I am excited, Jaron. I'm always feeling good. All right, well, we got a lot to go on. I mean, not a lot is happening in Syracuse sports, obviously, during the coronavirus pandemic, and we hope all of our listeners are staying safe and staying healthy and social distancing. But we do have some new developments, and we'll talk about a couple different things. We'll start off the show with some new Syracuse football recruits are coming to the 315, and they've made that decision over the past couple days. We'll discuss who's coming and really why Syracuse has made such a strong push for the class of 2021 in these past couple weeks during the coronavirus quarantine. We'll also talk about which positional group for Syracuse football needs the most help in the upcoming season. That being said, we assume there will be a season. We'll talk about Elijah Hughes and his draft stock, and of course, finish up the show with Fizz Feedback. But before we get to all of that, let's start with the football recruits. So a litany of new recruits committed to Syracuse over the past couple weeks, and a lot of them are coming in the class of 2021. So they won't be on campus this upcoming school year, but instead they will be in the next school year. And with that, my first question for you, Matt, is you see a lot of schools trending downwards right now for recruiting. A lot of schools are putting a halt on trying to find different players because they can't, in, they can't go and meet these players in their homes and meet their families, yet Dino Babers and his staff are staying really strong on their, their road to try to find some of the best recruits in the country, and they've signed a lot of three-star recruits. Why do you think that Dino and his staff are continuing to do this when a lot of schools are just taking a little pause right now? Well, I mean, I think you just got to respect that they're still trying to go out and do their jobs. Uh, yeah, obviously this isn't great, not an ideal situation, but Dino's still trying to do his job. He's still trying to win football games. And I think you just really got to respect that from him and his staff. Well, the thing is, and I actually read an article from Syracuse.com recently that some of these recruits are committing to Syracuse without even meeting the coaching staff, whether they didn't take a formal visit, an informal visit, or Dino or his coordinator or whoever it may be hasn't actually gone to, the, to wherever these recruits live and met them and met their families and met their... Oh, yeah. I mean, you just can't do that right now. I'm sure there have been phone calls, though. Dino's got that swagger, man. If I'm a, if I'm a three-star and I'm not looking to go at the... the I don't have the offers from the best places in the country. Syracuse is definitely somewhere I'm looking at just because I want to play for Coach Babers. That guy couldn't fire anybody up, get anybody to run through a brick wall. I think it's just obvious that he is just so charismatic that it, it makes sense that if anybody's going to do that, any coach in the country is going to get somebody to sign without having met them or even having come to the school, it's going to be Coach Babers. I mean, I agree. And I, I'm not arguing that 
these players are making a mistake by trusting Dino Babers because like you said, and I, I completely agree that he's a great coach and he's an even better recruiter. But my little worry with this is if he hasn't met these, these players in person, there's a difference between a phone call and meeting someone in person. You can Agreed. talk to someone on the phone and they could seem great, but then in person, you can just get a different vibe or you can walk into their house. And a lot of these coaches do do that. They have meetings in these players' homes to see what type of person they are and see if they would be a fit for this, for their organization and their team. And I'm not saying that these players that are committing to Syracuse won't be good fits. We don't know. And I, I assume Dino has some type of equation um, and he's trying to check off all the boxes to see if these recruits would be good for Syracuse. But it just worries me that he's not getting those real in-person conversations, those real in-person relationships with these players before they get here. And th th that'll probably happen. All of these commitments are verbal commitments. They still have a year. And if this pandemic slows down and Dino's actually able to go meet these class of 2021 players, then he could actually get a feel for it. But as of right now, it just worries me a little bit. It worries me a little bit. Okay. All right. Well, uh, let, let's let's talk about a couple of those players. And most recently, Kendall Long is probably the biggest name. All of the recruits, except for two of them for the class of 2021, are three-star recruits. Two of them are zero-star recruits. So we won't talk about them. But Kendall Long, the three-star wide receiver, he comes in at 6'3", 215. Again, he won't be on campus this upcoming year, but in the following year, he will. And he's a big addition for Syracuse, who their wide receiving core right now is really depleted. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great guy to get to fill in that hole that um, Tristan Jackson's leaving, that Jamal Custis left the year before. You need a guy that you can rely on, and they're looking towards the future to get a weapon for what would be a, what is it, junior or senior Tommy DeVito? Um, Right. So I, I think it's a great move to get Kendall Long here. He, he's from South Carolina, 19th best in his class. Uh, I, I think he's, it's a really good get for Syracuse, especially to have a taller guy at 6'3". Uh, I think he'll be able to go up and get those balls. He's a good player. Uh, I think it's a really good get for this offense looking forward. He definitely seems like he could, when you look at him, he looks like he could add weight too. I mean, 6'3", he's not a slot receiver. He's not going to be Sean Riley. He's not even... He's the guy you're looking for every play. Right. He's not even a Tristan Jackson type of guy where I feel like Jackson had more of a speed and he would beat you with his, with his legs. Kendall Long looks like mm -hmm. one of those Jamal Custis, I could body you and throw a fade up to you in the back corner of the end zone when we're in the red zone. And he seems like he could even add some weight just from looking at his frame. He looks like a guy that could grow into a great prospect. I don't think right now, looking at his tape, he's not the most flashiest of players. Um, 175th wide receiver in the class of 21, according to uh, 247 Sports. So, again, not the flashiest recruit, but definitely could develop into someone else. Um, now, another name that's recruited or that, that committed to Syracuse really recently was Hayden Nelson. He's a defensive end, um, another three-star. He's the fifth commitment in the class of 2021. And there's an article out 
on orangefizz.net that if you want to go read, Thomas Schultz, a great staffer on the Orange Fizz, wrote about him, and it's called Get to Know Syracuse Football's Latest Commit. So go check out that article. But, Matt, your, your opinion on Hayden Nelson, what can he add to this team and to this defensive line when they've lost a couple big names? Alton Robinson is gone, obviously, and through the years. And next year you're going to lose a couple other big names. Here's what I'm looking at when I when I see this class, and especially when I see Hayden Nelson. Uh, four out of the seven guys on this list are defense. We've got a safety and three guys playing uh, defensive end, defensive or defensive tackle. That that is phenomenal to see as a Syracuse fan because last season, where that defensive line already wasn't that great, Kendall Coleman and Alton Robinson played a little bit under what they were expected to do. Josh Black played a little above what he was expected to do, but still wasn't at where Syracuse fans thought that they might be. And then you lose Kendall Coleman and Alton Robinson, and you're looking towards the future saying, well, who's going to be on that line? You probably won't have McKinley Williams uh, that far down the road. So it's good to see that they're taking stock in these guys, trying to get as many new faces in in that front seven as they can. Uh, I mean, Hayden Nelson's as good as any. He's a huge dude, 6'4", 248. Uh, another three-star, like you mentioned. I, I think that this is, is great to see because they're going to lose these guys. And, and so many uh, games last season where it just seemed like the, the defense wasn't there against Clemson. I, I, I remember watching Amari Rogers just shift off of tacklers like it was nothing. Or against BC, Mike Adazio in the postgame after that horrible loss to BC said, you know, we ran the same play 57 times or whatever it was because they couldn't <laughs> stop it. These guys, this defense was just abysmal last year. It's good to see that Babers and his staff are looking towards fixing the problems on this team and they know what to do going well, forward. Okay, so yes, this team overarchingly was not good last year. Their wasn't defense, good. Bad team. Their, their defense wasn't completely the issue. A, a lot of it rested on the offense. But I want to at least give credit where credit is due, and the secondary of that defense is fantastic. The, the problem with the defense last year was really the linebackers. Alton Robinson did as much as he could, but he was really a one-man show. Kendall Coleman eh, had an okay season. But I, I, I do understand what you're saying. A lot of these names, like Andre Sisco and Alton Robinson, the, the names – in air quotes right now for the Syracuse defense are going to be gone in the next couple of years if they already aren't gone by now. And I completely understand adding a player like Hayden Nelson is a good get. And he's probably the, the name that sticks out on the list of commits for class of 21 for me, at least because he also got a lot of other big schools uh, to look at him. Yeah. He's definitely the headliner. Iowa State, Indiana, Central Michigan, like they're not SEC type of teams, but Syracuse isn't going to get SEC type of talent. And what really stands out to me in looking at Hayden Nelson's um, type of film or just like looking at his highlights on his Twitter page, you can see he is very technically sound. He has a lot of great moves where he will get down in a three-point stance and be able to explode out of that and use different type of moves to get past offensive linemen whether it be a swim move a spin move some type of stunt where the inside man comes out and he goes in whatever it may be he's technically sound and that's really what you want to look for in a commit because size you can add I mean maybe not height but you can add strength you can add weight 
if what you really want from a commit is number one athleticism and he looks pretty athletic he's not a crazy freak athlete but he looks decently athletic and then you want technique and if they have a strong basis of te technique now that bodes well for once they get into the college game and get with college coaches and college coaches can mold them i agree yeah hayden nelson a big name for this for this uh upcoming class of 2021 squad uh, but that's going to do it for our Syracuse football recruits conversation after the break. We're going to talk, we're going to stay on football, but we're going to talk about which positional group on this Syracuse football team needs most help. We'll answer that question. We have a lot more on this Fizz, on this Fizz radio episode. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Orange Fizz on the score 1260. Back here on Orange Fizz Radio on the score 1260, Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte working remotely, but still bringing you all of your Syracuse sports content here every single Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on the score 1260. Again, thank you so much for joining us and make sure you go read all of our articles on orangefizz.net. We talked about the Syracuse football recruits coming in in the next couple of years earlier. Now we're going to talk about the Syracuse football season upcoming, and hopefully, Matt, there is a football season. Hopefully. hopefully. So with that, my question that I pose to you, and we'll just bounce off of each other for this, is a lot of different positions in their groupings need help for Syracuse football next year. Almost all. The, the offensive line, the quarterback room, the running backs, the wide receivers – you can go onto the defense and say the defensive line, the linebackers. I would put basically every single positional group on the cutting board, on the chopping block for Syracuse football, except for the secondary and the special teams. Because like we talked about last week, Syracuse is special teams U. They produce amazing special teamers. STU, uh, baby. <laughs> and then obviously we talked about earlier in this show the secondary is amazing especially with Andre Sisco back there so my question is in this upcoming season and let's just predict that there will be a season however it may shape out and look like what positional group in your opinion do you think needs the most help going in to the 2020 Syracuse football year well, like you said, Jaron, you could pick just about any positional group because they're all pretty bad as of last year. But there is one glaring hole that stands out above the rest, and that is the offensive line, man. I'll never get over talking about how bad this offensive line was. They were horrible. <laughs> Fourth to last in the country in sacks allowed. The teams that beat them, Miami, a, a, a conference opponent who was also terrible granted they had another game so they got uh, another game to allow more sacks but other than them it's old dominion and akron that is horrible <laughs> company to be in that is just about the worst company to be in this is syracuse we're talking about man not uab come on like 50 sacks they allowed that's ridiculous and if you're going on uh average sacks per game they're worse than miami they averaged uh, over four sacks allowed per game Tommy DeVito didn't have time to, to pray up to his mom in the stands before he got taken down by some giant behemoth like Laurel Murchison over at NC State or Isaiah Simmons at Clemson 
it was it was a calamity every time he got the ball in his hands. He had no idea what to do. He was rolling out left, rolling out right, just trying to get a pass off. And that's why we saw so many interceptions from the poor guy hey, against on, Maryland. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Right. I know you're. I know you're on a I'm rant. Steaming about I know this. you're on a rant. You can continue, but I just want to get one thing in before you continue because you mentioned it. Isaiah Simmons, the Clemson linebacker, safety, cornerback, whatever you want to uh, line him up as. Did you see in, during the NFL draft when he was yeah, – They saw the – they just kept showing the highlight. Of all him the highlights. Out. All the highlights of his, like, two-minute highlight package, at least a minute 15, were in that one game against Syracuse. Absolutely. And, you know, I get it. Sam Heckle, who was supposed to be one of the veterans of this squad, one of the best players on this offensive line, is out all year. I understand that that is difficult. But here's my thing. We saw one of the biggest surprises of the season was when Ryan Alexander just up and left. He yeah. said, I don't want to do this anymore. And when you are Coach Dino Babers and your big thing is, I Anna. get my players up. Like, my players love me. They want to play for me. And one guy says, ah, screw this, I'm going home. Like, that – what? Are you kidding? That is ridiculous. That, that is the worst possible thing that can happen to a program other than some kind of scandalous activity. So, to see that, you've – they must have been so unmotivated to play that one guy just up and left. He didn't even tell anybody. He he just said, "All right, I'm not coming." Yeah, and he just I, didn't show up. He, and here's he the other thing: told Dino. He never he told didn't tell Dino. Any. He just left. And here's the other thing: I I don't know if it was this easy of a fix, but to me, if I was in uh, Mike Cavanaugh, the offensive line coach's position, I think I would have made this switch a lot sooner. Aaron Service who's absolutely the best player on that offensive line, was playing center basically all year to fill in for the injured heckle. In the last couple of games against Duke and Wake Forest, they said, hmm, what's the most important position on the offensive line? The blind side, right? Michael Orr, we all know about the blind side, thanks to his great book. Let's put our best player in the most important position. Oh, we're winning games now. Whoa. We beat Duke 49-6. Whoa. Oh, we, we take out Wake Forest in the last oh, – oh, it's incredible. We're winning games. Tommy DeVito can get a couple seconds in the pocket to see where he's freaking throwing the ball before he gets taken down. What, like, why was this not done sooner? And why is Mike Cavanaugh still in a job? This is ridiculous. I, I, I'll never get over how bad that offensive line was. A blunder of a season, and it's headed by that terrible offensive line. I'll never get over it. Okay. Well – Hey, I'm going to let you catch your breath, and while you do... Thank you. Oh, uh, need some water now. <laughs> I'll explain my positional group that I think that needs the most help, and let me preface this with, I completely agree that the offensive line needs a lot of help and needs to improve a lot this upcoming season, so I wanted to choose them as my choice, but I also don't want to agree with you. I want to give the listeners... Um, some good content and some contrast. So I'm going to go with the wide receivers because I think that the, the offensive line is right here. They're, they, they need a lot of help, but 1B is the wide receivers, especially Christian Jackson uh, leaving for the NFL draft because you lose him. You lose Sean Riley, who hasn't been great, and especially what happened, man? didn't have his best year, um, but you lost Jamal Custis the year before. And now your receiving room just doesn't really have anybody. Let me go through the names. Taj Harris, you would hope that he would be able to be a number one. But in the past couple of years, 
He hasn't really shown that, and it worries me. And now all he's the still way, young, though. I think he's got a, a big ceiling. He, I, okay. So I want to believe that, but I haven't seen anything to show me that he could be. There has sure. not been one game or one performance or just anything that I've seen that it wasn't just that's an Abner. Uh, that's just like weird. That's not normal or they're playing against really bad competition like Liberty and he has a good game. Like I, I just don't believe in Taj Harris. So Here's what I'll say about Taj though. Okay. The fact that he is getting in, getting a lot of playing time as such a young kid in this organization, this program um, shows me that the, the program trusts him to be their next guy. I think they were planning on having Tristan for another year. Cause in, in my opinion, it didn't make much sense for him to leave this year, really but um, I think that they're looking forward to having Taj as that guy. They're probably going to have to push him into that role earlier than they'd like, but I think they have faith in him. Taj uh, entering his junior year. And again, you're listening to Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Um, Taj finished second on the, on the roster last year behind Tristan Jackson uh, with 600 receiving yards, which is okay. It's not, it's not anything to gloat about, but it worries me for him to turn into WR1. So that's my first worry. And especially if he's your wide receiver one, it says something about your receiving core that if he's the best that you can do, that means that you don't have that much. Cameron Jordan is probably your wide receiver two, maybe Nikeem Johnson if you want to make an argument for him. But over the past couple of years, Johnson really only plays in the slot. Um, and that's that's been important Sean Riley has filled that role Nikeem Johnson you would assume would fill into that slot role and fill that position I, again I don't see unless you're a Wes Welker where you can make a living in the slot and actually be an not many guys are Wes Welker I hate to break it to you I'm sorry I hate to break it to you not too many guys are Wes Welker exactly that and that's <laughs> exactly my point Slot guys aren't really wide receiver one type of players. That I, I at least in my opinion, <clears> no, you're right, hundred percent. I agree. They're not yeah. even wide receiver two. Like they are a solid wide receiver three, um, but that's about it. And that's if you have a really good slot guy. Nike Johnson eh, doesn't really push the needle for me. Cameron Jordan, um, it's like. I don't even think that's a household name for Syracuse football. <laughs> like if I, I, everyone listening to to this tweet at us, like, have you heard of Cameron Jordan before? He only caught Do some research passes. for that one. He, he caught three passes for 20 yards last year. And he's going to be your wide receiver too. Unless, or if you want to put Nikeem Johnson wide receiver two and Jordan number three, but either way, like this is all just like, it, it, there's nothing special about it. So then you think about Aaron Hackett, the tight end will be a, in which I actually am a big Aaron Hackett guy. Um, I think that he could be very solid, <clears throat> but the thing about that is with Tristan, Tristan Jackson now out of the roster, Aaron Hackett's going to get way more attention. And what you really would love to see is, Tristan Jackson still there, gaining a lot of the attention and allowing Aaron Hackett to feed off of the not as much of attention. But now, since he's going to get a lot of either double teams or a linebacker shifting over and covering him in the flat um, until a cornerback can pick him up, 
I, I like Aaron Hackett. He's just going to get a lot of attention, and that's what worries me. So when you look at this wide receiving room, it's just not great. Taj Harris, Cameron Jordan, who? Nikeem Johnson, a slot guy, and then Aaron Hackett, which is a great tight end. But again, he's going to be getting too much attention for his caliber of a talent of talent for a wide uh, a tight end. So it scares me. The wide receiving core in that in that room really does scare me. And you pair that with the offensive line that you're talking about that can't give Tommy DeVito five or six seconds in the pocket. It doesn't bode well for this offense. And hopefully Sterling Gilbert, the brand new offensive coordinator, can figure something out. But right now, my my excitement for this offense is just diminishing by the day. Yeah, I think that <laughs> DeVito's going to find himself having to look towards guys that last year he would have looked at as, as number twos at best. I mean, with Taj Harris being your number one guy and having Aaron Hackett and possibly Luke Benson as well at that tight end position, I could totally see them using two tight ends this season right. uh, with such a depleted core. But I think it's going to be tough for DeVito. And I, like I said about the offensive line, I think it's going to really uh, be interesting to see how much they play a role in DeVito's ability to find a receiver at each and every play. It'll definitely be interesting. And there's, a, there's an article out on orangefizz.net about the wide receivers. Thomas Schultz wrote it, uh, breaking down Syracuse's 2020 wide receivers. Pretty simple. Go check it out on our website. And when we come back, we'll talk about some basketball and Elijah Hughes to the NBA. You're listening to Orange Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Switching gears now on Orange Fizz Radio with Jaron May and Matt Bonaparte on the score 1260. We've talked about football, and now let's talk about some basketball. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are here every single Saturday morning on the score 1260 from 9 to 10 a.m. Make sure you go check out our website, orangefizz.net. Now that I got all that out of the way, Matt, let's talk some basketball. We talked some football previously, but now let's switch it up. And not too much going on for Syracuse basketball right now. Not many transfers coming in. Not many new recruits. Um, so let's just talk about the guy that is still a conversation with Elijah Hughes. And he's been getting a lot more attention from NBA teams and NBA scouts right now. And a lot of different draft boards are moving him up from mid to early second round to maybe even a late to mid first round pick. And I do have to give a shout out. Sheck West, the famous rapper, tweeted out just the other day, Elijah Hughes is the biggest draft steal right now. And then obviously Hughes retweeted that. Um, and that was just some fun right there. So if you're getting Sheck West's approval, that means you must be some type of basketball player. And uh, we were talking off air before this, Matt. You are, you're excited to hear the Elijah Hughes song? Yeah, Elijah Hughes song coming out. Check's <laughs> going to drop it. It's going to be great. Go huge. Yeah, all right. So I guess Sheck West is a is an Elijah Hughes fan. I personally am, am an Elijah Hughes fan. I don't know about yourself, but I agree with all of these uh, reports that are moving him up the, the draft boards. But the question that I have for you is, most likely there won't be an NBA draft combine 
Um, so without that combine and without that ability for Hughes to get in front of all the scouts all at once and show off his abilities in person, how will that impact his draft stock? Well, I think it's a huge detriment to his, uh, of his chances here. Uh, last year, just last year, we saw O'Shea Brissett, a guy who wasn't highly touted coming out of college. He had a good sophomore season, not a great junior season. And he comes going for the draft, and it wasn't, it wasn't looking great. Um, but then he had the combine, and he had an incredible combine, and, and scouts were saying, uh, you know, this kid might actually get drafted. He didn't get drafted, but he did score a uh, undrafted free agent contract now playing in the Raptors organization. So it worked out for O'Shea. I was hoping that we would have gotten to see Elijah try and recreate that success that O'Shea had in the combine. Alas, he is not. And I think that is going to hurt him because I think he's the kind of guy that really could have benefited from that because he gets a lot of flack for being on a team that wasn't very successful. Yeah, he is still an incredible player, a great scorer. He can get you a bucket every single time down the floor. And he's not a bad defender. Uh, I think Shaq West is right. He's, he is a great steal in the draft because he's not in, he's not supposed to go very high, but I think he could end up being one of the better players here. Now, the thing that comes to my mind is Syracuse players usually aren't great NBA prospects for one reason, and that's because Syracuse plays a zone. So you sure. can't see them as defensive players because guys don't play defense in the NBA you play man to man they have rules in place so that you can't play zone um and if you do it's for a a one maybe two minutes like it's it's not a long thing it's not a thing really you're right it's really not so with that the NBA combine has been a time where Syracuse prospects are able to go and show that they can still play man-to-man, that they can still play some type of defense. And without that, that hurts Elijah Hughes' stock. Um, But the other thing about that is without the combine, they're only going off of him during the season. And when you look at his, his highlights, they're awesome. They're amazing. Um, you'd obviously like to have a combine to see how he would fare going up against the other top guys um, in the draft and see where he ranks in that, because obviously that's what a draft is. You rank these players and you pick them according to their rankings. Um, And without that, it kind of hurts, but I still think that he's done enough that he should be a mid to late round, mid to late first round pick. Um, but we also have had conversations before, even on previous Fizz radios, um, that Elijah Hughes is the most underrated player, I think, in all of college basketball. He was missed out on so many different award lists um, just because he was on Syracuse, who had a down season, and he was brought down with them. Yeah, I mean... He didn't get the respect he deserved because Syracuse had a bad season, but I don't think he's going to care. He's going to take that chip on his shoulder right into the NBA, and he's going to shock you because the guy can score just like anybody else. He, he can take it to the best of them, and, and that's not going to change whether or not he makes a list or not or whether Sheck West is t- tweeting about him or not. The guy can play basketball, and that's it, period. That's it. So now I – 
I'm pulling up the draft order right now and it's loading on my computer. And once I have it up, I'm going to read you the ends of the first round. And I want to see in your opinion, which team fits best for him. So let's say I have it up. Let's say he's, I'll start at pick 20. Um, because I think at least in my opinion, he's in that 20 to 30 uh, range and I'll go through the teams and you just give me your opinion on if, if you think that he would be a good fit for that team or not. And pick number 20 in this upcoming draft is Brooklyn. I mean, a, uh, a team just lost their, their superstar, but gained two others. I think he would be a great fit there. Mentorship from Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I mean, what, what more could you ask for than a couple of superstars to look up to? Um, I don't know how great of a fit he would be playing time-wise. I don't yeah. know if he, he would play all that much. Yeah. But I think he'd learn a lot. He, he would. I if, mean, he, if he made the team, that is. He would, he would grow as a player, but just thinking about what Brooklyn needs, um, I don't really see them needing an Elijah Hughes type of player. He's, yeah, he's, he's not a, the guy they want right now. He's a shooter, um, and they, they have that. So let's move on to pick 21 in Denver, the Nuggets. Do you see Hughes fitting in there? Uh, I mean, more than I do in Brooklyn. You, uh, in Denver, you've guys, you've got guys like Gary Harris and Will Barton playing that kind of position. So I think Elijah could fit in well there. Uh, he could follow his uh, Q's alumni, Carmelo, right to Denver. Yeah. That'd be cool. But uh, I mean, it's it's all about if he's going to get drafted twentieth overall. It's all about what kind of position he's going to be playing on his team. On Denver, I don't see him being much more than a role player, you know? Right. Um, but you, it, in this crazy NBA scene, you never really know what kind of player is going to turn into what because injuries happen, this happens, that happens. We saw with the Warriors uh, this year. We saw Kai Bowman and Jordan Poole starting. Those guys weren't drafted very high, and they got put on a team that made the finals the year previously. So – Obviously, Steph Curry gets injured, and Clay Thompson got injured in the finals, so they had all those spots opened up. But uh, you never really know, obviously. All right, so Denver I don't think is a great fit. Um, I also don't think the next two picks, and we'll just skip right over them, it's Philadelphia and Miami. I don't see him fitting into those rosters. They're already very established, and if he went there, he would be a 12th man, probably a G leaguer. If he's Uh, lucky. Yeah, so where I think that he fits best, and I'll just jump right to it, pick number 24 with Utah. Uh, Utah has a young core. They really are basing their entire team off of two players, and one of them is probably not going to be on the team next year. Um, And then you have Oklahoma City. I think he could fit there. They're in a rebuild. They don't have too much talent and he could be a young player that sneaks on that roster and, and kind of explodes. He wouldn't have the mentorship that you talked about in Brooklyn, uh, but he would definitely be able to make that roster. Um, and then Boston, I don't really see a great fit there. They already have a lot of wings. They don't really need that. A lot of depth on Boston. Yeah, so where I think he fits best is number 24, Utah, number 25, Oklahoma City, or number 27 with the New York Knicks. Well, anybody can fit on the Knicks because they huh. they'll put anybody out there. Yeah. Um, because after that, Knicks, you get to you get to Toronto, the Lakers, and then the Celtics again. So I think if he's going to fit in the first round, um, and we're only in that twenty to thirty range, I think it's either 
Utah, Oklahoma City, or New York. If you want to put him before that 20, uh, maybe he goes to Dallas at 18, uh, Minnesota at 16, but I just don't think he's that high of a, of a prospect. We've seen bigger surprises. like Yeah. But I don't see it happening either. All right, well, that's Elijah Hughes. Draft stock still soaring. Hopefully he will move up the boards even more. The draft's still a couple months away. Um, and we'll probably have plenty of more conversations about Elijah Hughes and him being an NBA prospect in the upcoming Fizz Radio episodes. But for now, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with your Fizz feedback. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Orange Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Closing things up here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte. We're here every single Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Different staffers will be joining the Fizz Radio episodes. Matt and I were on last week. We're on again this week. We'll see who's on next week, but hopefully you tune in. And check out our website, orangefizz.net, for all of your Syracuse football, Syracuse basketball, and Syracuse recruiting news. But like we end every show, we're going to talk about our Fizz feedback. And those are the polls that we put out on Twitter. And right now we are recording this on Thursday night. So these are the results as of Thursday night when we are recording. Uh, and the first Fizz feedback that I tweeted out earlier today says, Syracuse football has had a handful of prospects commit over the past few days. And we talked about them in the first segment of today's Fizz radio um, on a scale from one to 10, how pleased are you with these signees? And the, the answers were either one to three, four to six, seven to eight, or nine to 10. And the winning vote right now is seven to eight. The, the fans are semi-pleased. A seven to eight is a pretty good um, measurement. And 44% of the votes went with seven and eight. Yeah, uh, I, I went with four to six. I did too. Just because I, I'd like to see the team go after some bigger prospects. Obviously, that's not easy to do. Uh, but, I mean, if I'm in the four to six, I'm definitely a six because I'm happy with what they've done going after these defensive guys to fill those holes. But, I mean, three stars tops right now, and I'd like to see something a little bit better. And that's that's what Eric Thomas – and, again – if you, uh, if you comment on any of these polls, we will shout you out on Fizz Radio. Eric Thomas, a good friend of ours on Orange Fizz, uh, answered us and said, at what point do the recruits get better? Kind of tired of seeing another big recruiting win being some barely three-star guy who also held offers from Akron in Western Kentucky, but chose Syracuse over those powerhouses. Obviously, <laughs> some uh, sarcasm in that one from Eric. Eric Thomas got uh, jokes. But I agree with him. I mean, I put down four to six. You're a six. I would, I would probably say I'm a 4.5 uh, because it's three stars. It's three stars and two zero stars. Like, how content can you be with that? I, I just don't understand. And there, there are two players, like we talked about earlier, that I'm happy with. But if they want to be a real contender in the ACC, they got to start getting some four or five stars and I feel like Dino Babers is the guy to do that for you. Like when you have him at the helm, he's a great recruiter. I don't know why he's missing out on these four stars. Maybe he's not even targeting them. That might be the issue right off the bat. Maybe, uh, you know, who knows? All right. Uh, and then there was also another comment on that one. Ryan Hollingsworth says, 
in need of a QB. Uh, I disagree with that. You have Tommy DeVito. Um, Ryan, buddy, I hate to break it to you. Tommy's going to be here for a little while. DeVito's here for the next two years, and then you also are picking up two quarterbacks in the class of 2020. So you don't really want to jam up the class of 2021 with a quarterback, and even if you do, you still have a while to fill that gap. Um, it's very early in the in the cycle for the class of 21, so I'm not completely in agreement with Ryan Hollingsworth. I'm sorry. Uh, Rye, but let's move on. Um, our second Fizz feedback says, what Syracuse football positional group needs the most help going into next season? We talked about this. I said the wide receivers. You said the offensive line. You know my line. answer, Jaron. And the uh, offensive line. You are winning 64% of the vote as of nice, Thursday better, night, uh, says the offensive line. So, hey, you win. I, I'll give you the four. Go ahead. Higher. Brag, brag all I, I mean, uh, it's just there's no competition. There's other holes on the team, but this one's like the biggest in the piece of Swiss cheese we're looking at. Yeah. This thing's gigantic. Uh, listen, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Uh, wide receivers came in third. They didn't even come in second. Linebackers was the number two vote getting. Uh, and I don't position. disagree with that. Those guys can't tackle. Yeah, and you lose Ryan Armstrong. Like, there, there's just no names there that you can really point to and rely on in the coming years. So we'll see. Um, linebackers got eight, got 18% of the votes. Wide receivers got 17. Running backs got 1.5% of the vote. That's also a positional group that we haven't talked about but definitely needs some help. Um, but let's move on. We got just a few more minutes left on Fizz Radio. Uh, Fizz feedback. Syracuse's Andre Sisco was ranked as the second best safety in next year's NFL draft by Mel Kuyper of ESPN. Where do you think Sisco will be picked? Uh, and the most votes right now are for the 20 to 30 range. They, a lot of our fans think that they're, that he's going to be picked mid to late first rounds. Your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, uh, I think that it'll be 20 to 30. Um, so I'm with the fans. I went here. 30 to 45 just because of need. He could easily outshine that um, and become the number one safety in the draft. Who knows? Uh, but if that is to happen, then he needs a football season this year. I don't think he's going to be the top prospect if he doesn't have another year under his belt. I, uh, he just reminds me, like I can just see him being one of those guys that the Packers always pick. <laughs> with like 26, like Darnell Savage Jr. or Kevin King or Demarius Randall or well, just one of those guys that goes late first round, Jair Alexander from a couple years ago. Yeah. Just one of those dudes. Uh, Ryan Hollingsworth commented on this, top-tier safety with tremendous instincts, take better angles and wrap up while showing positional flexibility in the backfield, and he's a lock for top 10. He definitely runs wow. the club 4.5 in the 40. That's aggressive. You know something I don't. We don't have too much time to unpack that, so let's just keep moving. We're under a minute here to go. Elijah Hughes has moved up on the NBA draft boards recently. Where do you think he'll be picked? This is our final Fizz feedback. I said 15 to 25. I think he's in that range, but the winning vote is 25 to 35. 52% of the vote says that he's in that range. Yeah, I said 25-35. I think he'll be early second round. Early second round, says Matt. I think he's mid to late first round, but that's going to do it for us on Fizz Radio. A lot that we talked about Syracuse football, 
uh, the recruits, the positions next year. We talked about Elijah Hughes. And we are so grateful for everyone tuning in. Make sure you come back next week. You're listening to Orange Fizz Radio on The Score 1260.